We're in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. If you're using a pew Bible today, that's page 857. We're going to start in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem and present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called, called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts and many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of a tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting in prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she gave thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting in the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor Jason mentioned that uh, Tuesday evening we'll gather here in the sanctuary for Christmas Eve. And I hope you can come and be with us that time. Uh, we'll, we'll do our best, as he said, to keep it within an hour time frame so that you can go home and, and celebrate Christmas Eve as a family or with friends or however you choose to do it that evening. But it's good, I think, to begin by worshiping as we move into the specifics of the Christmas season. And I want to encourage you, be open to God prompting you to invite somebody. I, I probably feel this keenly because I didn't grow up in the church. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced, I, I came into the church at the age of 18, but I am convinced I would have come earlier. I would have come earlier. But nobody gave me an invitation. Nobody invited me. Nobody told me about Christ. Um, so I, I just want to encourage you, that Christmas Eve service is a unique time, an opportunity where people are not offended often to be invited and maybe there's somebody who has no church home like I did who just needs an invitation. So I want to encourage you to pray and think about that over the next couple of days. And then one other thing that's important, I think, for you to know, we, we, we touched on it at the, Christmas, or at the Christmas program last week and mentioned it to you, but not everyone was there. And we want to make sure that this is, is communicated so you understand the, the time frame of this. Uh, for the past two and a half years, Pastor Dan and Christine have been with us. Pastor Dan has served on staff here with us, on the pastoral staff for that time, and we're grateful for that. My life is, has been enriched by being close to Dan in all of that time, and Christine as well. But 
I'm a better person today because of those two and a half years that I got to spend. Uh, one of the things I said uh, quite some time ago is you understand a person's heart as you hear them pray. And one of the joys of my heart were times when we prayed together and I heard Dan pray and my heart was strengthened. But uh, last uh, last spring, we, we began a transition that we knew would take place at this time. And that transition is that, that they're going to transition off of our pastoral staff. Uh, Pastor Dan's last official time of, of ministry among us will be Christmas Eve. By that I mean the last time he will really technically be on staff. We've, he's gone this morning because of some time that he had coming to, to be away. And I also next Sunday said you need to just continue after Christmas Eve, take those days off because you, you have them coming, you haven't taken them. But he will be here on Christmas Eve for that last official time. But I'm grateful to say as well that that won't be the last time he'll be among us. They're going to continue to to be among us and, and be a part of our fellowship and worship with us. You'll continue to see Dan in the worship team and various other places and Christine as well. So, But it's important, I think, that you understand that so there's not an, an awkwardness of, of maybe not knowing and, and finding out a different way we want to communicate it as best we can. But pray for them. Pray for God and, and for them in this transition that God will just continue to lead them where he has has for them to be and to, to, uh, to flourish in ministry. This morning our text is... Uh, has been read to us this morning, and I, I go back to what I mentioned to you in the prayer time, as I introduced the prayer time. I, I want you to liken, when I said there are two categories of people this morning, these last hours, who have worshipped around this globe. One category are those that are truly waiting for God to fulfill his promise to save them. They have seen now as New Testament believers the glory of Christ and the promises being fulfilled in the coming of God's salvation in Christ. And they are waiting, continually waiting for the full consummation. The kingdom has come, but not fully come. Uh, The now and the not yet of the kingdom. And they're waiting for all of that promise to one day fully be fulfilled. And then there's another category of people who gather in worship services who, who... The bottom line is they are not waiting because they somehow and in some way feel like they don't need those promises because they can do it themselves in some measure. And so they're really not resting and waiting on a promise of God to do something because they're somehow convinced they can do it and even their gathering is part of them doing it. It's not a response, but rather a means by which to save themselves. And so all throughout the history of of God's revelation to us. That's been the case. Old Testament and New. In the Old Testament, it was the same way. There was, a, there was a waiting people, truly waiting for God to fulfill His promise. And there are others that were just going through motions or attempting to save themselves in somehow a legalistic kind of hypocritical approach. And that's exactly the setting that we find here in the text in these last weeks as we've been looking at various ones who it, it, it described as truly waiting. We looked at uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. We looked at Mary. We looked at now, this morning, Simeon and Anna. And the way to see the difference of those is, is the connotations and the things that are said about them, particularly in, uh, in verse 6 of the Scripture in uh, in in chapter 1 of Luke where it says and they were both speaking of Zechariah and Elizabeth here they were both 
righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And the same kind of thing will be said about Mary and about the two that we're going to look at this morning, Simeon and Anna. They were righteous. They were righteous before God. It's important that we understand, I think, what that is saying and what it means to us. Um, I think we must understand they were declared righteous by God. Uh, and, And it's important to see that. It wasn't that they somehow by what they were doing, were meriting that righteousness, that declaration of God that says they were righteous. But rather, we, we must see the scriptures. We must understand the full revelation of God. Things like Romans chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 2 that say things, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified or made righteous in the sense of being declared righteous or declared right with God. There was... There was a a sense in which they were right with God and declared right with God on the basis of faith, not on the basis of their deeds, not on the basis of what they were doing. And, And because of that declaration, literally their lives became righteous not not in a full sense not in the sense that somehow that righteousness that was produced in them could merit salvation but it was the outgrowth it was the fruit of faith fruit of them trusting God and the revelation that they had about their God and the promises that God had made that God justified them by faith declared them righteous people right with God and uh, they were true believers in the Old Testament sense. God has always had a group of true believers, truly righteous people who were looking to God for that righteousness as much as they understood it. And that's the category that we find Simeon and Anna in this morning. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10 just for a moment. Let me, let me read to you so that you understand that I'm not just pulling that out of the air, but it's it's declared to us. It's declared, as I said, in Romans two and in, or, and or, excuse me, Romans three and Galatians two. It's also declared here in Romans chapter ten. Let me read to you. Paul is writing, and uh, his heart is broken. His heart is is aching over his own Jewish brethren. Many of those who, to put it in a New Testament sense, were lost. They were blind. And he says this, Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Now, to be saved means they weren't. Um, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, there's always been two categories of people. Those who submit to God's righteousness and those who don't, who continue to somehow find their own. And that's the category, that's the situation we find ourselves in the text this morning, in in these stories that we read. There was a remnant of God's people. There was a remnant who were truly His. They were righteous in that sense. And this morning I just want to continue on in that progression. I want us to look at Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. And the way I want to look at them, the way I want to look at these waiting people, these people who truly were worshipers because they understood that God was their Savior, 
I don't want to look at them as we have the first two sets through our own eyes directly, but what I want you to do is look at their lives through another's eyes. And that particular individual is described to us in Luke chapter 1, in the first part of that chapter. It's Theophilus. The scripture here tells us, Luke tells us, that he, he wrote the book of Luke for the sake of Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus. So I believe he was a person. And he says, I'm writing these to you, Theophilus, that you might have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. Now, Theophilus was a, a, in the Roman, um, or, or was, a, was a person in the Roman um, occupation. He was, he was one of the Romans who were overseeing Jerusalem, and he was an official in that, in that particular um, capacity. Uh, he was a Gentile and, and somehow had come to see Christ. And now it's, it's in the 60s, probably 30 years or so after the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And Luke is writing an orderly account. And he, he's spoken to eyewitnesses. Many believe he may have spoken to Mary herself because of the detail of describing the birth of Christ. But he interviewed many people and he's writing an orderly account now to Theophilus that he might have a certainty about his faith. And he, in this particular presentation to Theophilus that he's preparing for him, he chooses various things to include in it. And he includes these groups of waiting people. And so what I want us to do this morning is to, to, to kind of get ourselves into the mind of Theophilus a bit and see the uh, the laying out of Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 through his eyes and what he saw and what Luke intended for him to see as he wrote this. You know, Luke had to have taken time I, to, to stop and think, okay, what does he need to know? What do I need to communicate to him? How do I need to lay out this story so Theophilus will will rest in it more fully? So you have to understand, Luke... Luke had a purpose in writing it, and he chose the things to include because he was trying to meet that purpose in his writing. And so what is it that he wanted Theophilus to see? First thing that I think he, he takes great effort to help him to see is that in the lives of, of Simeon and Anna now, there was no conflict in their hearts no conflict in the hearts of Simeon and Anna that one era, the era of the law and the prophets, was coming to a close and the era of the kingdom or the era of Jesus was dawning. There seems to be no struggle in, in Simeon's heart and in Anna's heart in this text that one was coming to a close, another was dawning. If you will, the Old Testament was coming to an end and the New Testament was beginning, although they had no clue about Old and New Testament. There was no, no, no hesitation for them. Truly waiting people, the truly devout, the true believers, I think that's the point in many ways that he's trying to make is that that true believers did not have hiccups over this transition. They saw it and they welcomed it. Now, there was opposition. And one of the things that Rome did not like was instability. 
And so drilled into Theophilus is this idea, we have to keep the peace. That's why the Romans were there. The occupation was there. And any time somebody unsettled that calm, it went up the ranks of the Roman leaders. And they got nervous. I, just this week, um, I, you, ha- you happen to notice, if you happen to look, that the stock market took a huge jump this week. I think a 200-point jump in one day, or 300-point jump, I think, it took in one day. And one of the things that they say to us when that happens is that the market doesn't like uncertainty. And when certainty comes, and the certainty came as the whole issue of the bond market and some things that were done there and, and, uh, and some of the stimulus that had been, been going forward, it was being pulled back, there was kind of a certainty of direction that came. Many thought that that whole pulling back would cause the market to go the other direction. But actually what it did and what it seemed to do is what they wanted to do, is it, it, it gave stability. And so markets like stability. They don't like uncertainty. They see what the future is going to be, whatever it may be. And so many jumped into the market because of that certainty. But that's a kind, kind of thing that in Rome, they like certainty. And anything that began to create instability made them really nervous in their occupation. And so Theophilus is part of that. And, and if there was ever a recipe for instability, if there was ever a recipe for instability, it was Jesus and his coming. Not for those of the remnant. Not for Simeon and Anna. There was no hesitation there, as we see in Scripture. But for that part And that sect of Jewish um, people who were going through motions, who were living in many ways hypocritical lives, who were on an endeavor to save themselves and had distorted the teaching of the Old Testament and really had not seen the glory of the law and the purpose of the law and somehow were resting in their own righteousness. There is nothing more troubling to one who is resting in his own righteousness to be told you have to look away from it. And look to another. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what his coming was about. But you see, Simeon and Anna had not been looking to their own. They had been looking to God all along. And so they're inserted into the story for the sake of Theophilus understanding and seeing that Christianity is not just some new sect that has risen up that needs to be snuffed out. But in fact, true, devout, Jewish followers see it and see him for who he really is and was. Luke must get that across to Theophilus. It's the first thing that he does. It's the reason I believe that he inserted the story of Simeon and Anna into this text to give certainty to Theophilus. To give peace in one sense to Theophilus even in the midst of a very unstable situation that was developing now around Jerusalem and among the Jewish people. Jesus was creating lots of stir, but not, but not among the remnant, not among those who truly were looking to the promise of God. They recognized him. They saw him. There was no hesitation. The second thing that I think he sees in that, that Theophilus was designed to see by Luke is the joy. 
part of the whole idea that there was a seamless acceptance of, of this Jesus now who had come was, uh, was the fact that it produced joy in these people, in Simeon and Anna. One of the characteristics that you pick up from, from really Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 is joy. All of the people who really saw Jesus for who he was had joy produced in their lives. And certainly Simeon and Anna. There was, there was a sense of joy in the heart of Simeon, joy in the heart of Anna as they were confronted in the temple that day with Jesus. And I think that's another thing that, that Luke wanted, wanted Theophilus to see. It was another manifestation of the fact that there was no hesitation. Truly, true believers of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, welcomed this Jesus when they saw him. They saw him as the promise being more fully fulfilled that they were resting and that they were trusting in. You see, the the definition of a follower of Christ, the definition of a follower of Christ in this sense, where we are now in this timeline of redemption, is we are trusting God We are trusting God to fulfill his promise. Now, for people like Simeon and Anna, they knew God had made a promise. They didn't fully understand it. In fact, they they missed missed much of how it was all going to come together. The specifics, the cross, some of those kinds of things. They They didn't understand all of that. They just knew that this God was faithful. That's a characteristic of God's people, that our God is faithful, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, and I'm going to rest there. What happened to you this week? What happened to you this week? Did, did you have, have doubts rise up in your heart? Maybe as you came this morning, does God really accept me? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, does God really accept me? After the week I've had, after what, what I've come through, after what you see sometimes in your own heart, What do you do? A true follower doesn't listen to those emotions that get stirred up when that comes. A true follower goes back to the promises of God. A true follower goes back and and reminds himself of the gospel, reminds himself of, of why Christ came, reminds himself that they had placed their faith in him. They're going to continue to trust him to save them. That's That's a definition of a Christian, that they are trusting God. They are trusting God and all that he is for them now as they see it in Jesus Christ to save them. Even when they don't feel very savable. Even when they don't feel worthy of being saved. They trust him. They rest in him. They go back to the promise and rest in it. Well, that was the case for Simeon and Anna. They had joy. They didn't, they didn't see it all, but they had joy. That's the characteristic of all true believers through all of the ages. They had great joy in their hearts. And, and one of the things that we've been talking about is that the Bible is one story. And I convinced um, and, and committed to it. And part of the reason we're in the book of Hebrews when we get out of this Advent series, we're going, going back there, is because I think it is incredibly important that we see this as one story. 
that there's not a great big hiccup between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that it should just flow as one story of God's revelation, continuing revelation that he's going to fulfill his promise to save a people. And so Hebrews, I think, of all the New Testament books, helps us to see how God takes these Old Testament pictures and fulfills them in Christ, which is part of the fulfillment of his promise. So we'll continue to do that. But that's really, I think, how Simeon and Anok operated. They didn't didn't see it as two different things. They just saw it as one continual line of God saving a people. And so they continued to walk in it. Now, what I want you to do this morning and what I want to do for the next few minutes is I just want to look at, at when Simeon took the baby in his arms, when he took the Christ child in his arms, I want to look at his declarations. And I, again, I want you to think about Theophilus now. Put, your, put yourself into his head. Again, rem, I remind you, this is 30 years after the resurrection. He's heard all of the accounts about this Christ and, and most certainly has placed his faith there. And, and uh, here in this text, um, Luke is trying to bring more certainty and rest in what he's done. Trying to help him not get unsettled by what's going on around him and to see and to see the joy of Christ, the beauty of Christ. So listen to what he hears now in verse 29. Here Simeon has the Christ in his arms and in verse 29 he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And there's a reason for that. A reason that Simeon now can, can die. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Now literally, he's holding, he is holding Jesus in his arms. That's what the text says in verse 28. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, so as, he, as he's saying this, he is looking at Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation. And it centers in this baby. Now, Simeon didn't know how that was going to play out. He didn't have all knowledge about what that salvation entailed. But he knew that this baby was part of God's promise being fulfilled. He knew that this baby was the Messiah. He didn't know fully how that Messiah would go about saving them, but he knew God had promised to save them by the Messiah. My eyes have seen your salvation. So Theophilus is being reminded here by Luke that it centers in Jesus. Salvation is in him. And then he goes on to say some amazing things. He says in verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. What was Theophilus but a Gentile? He wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile. And he hears these words. This Savior, this Jewish Messiah, is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. We don't, we don't hear that like we should hear it, folks. We don't. Because we're not, we're not 
in that moment there that Theophilus was in. We don't realize how huge a deal that was for the Gentiles to be included in this. We just take it for granted, kind of, sometimes. But God came to His people, to the Jewish people, and through them made the promises. Certainly promises for them. But, but here now, we begin to see that these promises go broader than that. These promises begin to spill over beyond the Jewish people. There were hints of that in the Old Testament, and certainly that must have been what Simeon understood to some degree. Simeon knew the book of Isaiah. He knew texts like we find in Isaiah that says this, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. It is, it is too small a thing. That's not enough for you. And it goes on to say, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Here Isaiah is declaring that. It's, it's, it's not big enough for this Messiah to just save Israel. It's got to go beyond that. He will be more than that. I will make you a light to the nations. And certainly in Simeon's mind, even as he seemed to be moved to declare what he's declaring, he, he had it tied to text probably like that in Isaiah that he knew well. And all of a sudden he, 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 he prophesies here that it's for the Gentiles. And, and, and again, Theophilus hears it. Theophilus sees it. Theophilus must think, oh my. You see, Luke was trying to communicate to Theophilus things that would give him certainty. That yes, yes, this salvation was not just for the true remnant of Israel but the true remnant of God in every nation. Everyone who would look to this Jesus, everyone who would look to him to be the fulfillment of the promise, God would save them. God would save them. He goes on after that and says, for, your, for the glory of your people Israel, it's, it's, it's not just the nations. There's a place, I think, for the people of Israel and we, we read hints of that in Scripture. We see it in Romans chapter 11. If you turn there, you, you see, or excuse me, Romans chapter, um, Romans chapter 10 and 11, we begin to see those kinds of things, particularly in Romans 11, verses 25 to 27. Let me read it to you here in the text. It says, Paul again is talking about this remnant of Israel. He's talking about his his concern for his own people and, and wanting them to be saved. And here it says in verse 25, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And this is the mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Um, the idea of the glory to Israel, what what. Simeon didn't fully understand is that there would, there would be a hardening of, of the people of Israel. He, he hints at it in his prophecy. If you go back to the book of Luke, you, you hear it here um, in the text when he says in verse um, 
33, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is oppressed. He, he talks about it. In here in, in Romans, Paul talks more fully about it. That, that the, in the coming of Christ, for the most part, the Jewish people did not accept him. The remnant did. The true remnant, Simeon and Anna, those who were of the true people of Israel, saw him. And, but, but there became a hardening on, on Israel. Become a hardening on the Jewish people until the full number of the Gentiles will come in. But the inference here and the teaching of Romans chapter 11 is there will come a time, and it says that all Israel will be saved. I don't think that means all of the nation of Israel, but but there will be a large ingathering at one point of Israel, of the Jewish people that God has, for a time, caused them to not see. But there will come a time toward the end. When all Israel, when, when great masses of the Jewish people will have their eyes opened and they will see God's salvation in Christ. I think that's what it references when it talks about uh, the glory that's going to come to Israel here. But Simeon was, was talking about, he talked about the, the idea of the hardening and prophesied. But again, you see Theophilus, put it in his eyes. He sees he sees this Jesus coming. He sees the instability that it's creating. But he hears Simeon say, I have seen your salvation. He sees the fact that the host of the Jewish nation rejects this Jesus. And so he's tempted to say, is this just another sect? Is this, there were all kinds of those sects that came about. Is this just another one? But then Simeon declares here that there will be a hardening. Luke tells him there will be a hardening. So even the hardening, even the opposition, even the instability, if you will, that Theophilus is observing now 30 years after the resurrection of Christ, he sees was part of the plan. It's to give him certainty. And one day, as Paul declares, there will be a great uh, movement among the Jewish people. Their eyes will be opened and a great host of them will come in. It will be glory to my people Israel. Uh, but not yet. Not now. It's future yet. It's future oriented. A number of years ago in my, in my kitchen, I sat and I've told this story before with a Jewish man. And uh, he had been out here hunting and uh, we, were, we were just conversing after that time. And, and I tried to, I tried to approach him about Christ. I, I tried to engage him in a spiritual level. And it, it was a fascinating conversation. Um, I, I tried every avenue I could to, to get him to talk about it. And it wasn't as though sometimes when you, you do that, people will change the subject. Sometimes they'll just kind of back away and try to talk about something else. He wasn't trying to change the subject. It, it was different than that. He just literally had no category to put it in. He literally had no category to put a spiritual conversation in. And he was a fully Jewish man. He was a secular Jew. And, and that's the blindness. I realized as I sat with that man the, true, uh, the truth of the fact that a blindness will come among the Jewish people. One day, maybe for him, I don't know, but one day that that veil 
will be lifted and there will be a great influx of Jewish people coming to see the glory of Christ. The glory will come to Israel in that sense. And all of those things were for Theophilus to understand, to give him certainty. That's God's plan. That's the revelation that he's given us in, in Scripture. God is going to save a people, and, and that's the way it's happening, that today the Gentiles, it's open to the Gentiles. One day the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. I mean, that could be tomorrow. That's why it's dangerous ever to say, well, I'll, I'll make a decision later. I'll just wait. Thank you. I'm not ready now. Well, you can do that. But the truth of the matter is one day, one day, it will be too late. One day, the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. And then, God will bring his glory to Israel. There will be a great influx. So this morning, as we look at this, as we look through the eyes of Theophilus, question I would I would raise to you is is are you waiting are you waiting and how well are you waiting I go back to how I began the prayer time I go back to what we've talked about here the the only way to wait is to really be in the condition that Simeon was where you can say my eyes have seen your salvation truly waiting people have have seen God's salvation and they see it now in this day, in this age, in Christ. Have you seen that? Has God opened your eyes to see that that you need that Savior? That you need to rest in the promises of all that Savior is promising to save you? I hope that's the case. I hope that's where you rest. I hope that's where you land. I hope these weeks of talking about God's waiting people have stirred up within you a desire to wait, a desire to be a part of those waiting people. And if you already are, that it just created more of a desire that you want to wait well. You want to wait and continue to trust the promises of God and hold on to the promises of God. But if not, maybe even in these days around Christmas time you will make a decision to, to, to wait because you've seen God's salvation in Christ you, you come to put your hope and faith in Him and wait for Him to fully fulfill it the worship team is going to come we're going to sing this morning that second hymn that we sang as we worship today talking about Emmanuel And I hope even as it makes the declaration of putting your hope in Christ, that if it's already there, you will just reaffirm it to God. And if it's not, that even as you sing it, even as you mouth those words this morning, you will see. Let's stand and worship together.
Father, we sang this morning that in you alone we hope and trust. We declare that, Lord. We, we declare that we rest in all that you are for us in Christ. And I pray this morning if, if there's someone here who, who really isn't resting there, that, that even through this holiday season, even through this time of Christmas, that you will open their eyes to see the Savior that your Son is, Father that He would be a Savior for them. He would be the one in which they trust. Lord, help us. Help us to wait well. Help us to be worshiping people as we wait and that our worship would be spurred by seeing more the glory of Your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.